the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everybody. My name is Joni Siegel, and this is the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. This podcast has been going for five years now, and we actually were into our fifth year. Sorry about that. We've been going four years plus, and our whole purpose is to shed a light on people who either have experienced the addiction pandemic and are doing something about it, or even some of those who haven't personally experienced it, but who have a perspective on it that maybe we've never thought about before, or people who are just doing something to help handle it. The addiction pandemic is not gonna be handled by one person. It's not gonna be handled by one rehab. It's going to be handled by all of us doing something to help. And so what we like to do is offer ways that people can help or get help if they need it, and also make sure that everybody knows that there is in fact hope in when someone is addicted to drugs or alcohol. Um, I wanna remind you to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and please give us a good review because then other people find us, and then more people get our message of help and hope. Today, we have an interview with a lady known as the Rara Coach. So this is going to be fun. Her name is Patricia Love. She's a professional life coach, and she motivates and builds confidence in women who are struggling. And she has had her own issues and problems growing up, and we'll ask her to tell us her story. She also wrote a book called Seen and Unheard. And we'll hear more about that book, what motivated her to write it. And let's talk to Patricia Love. Patricia Love, thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast today and sharing your story with us. Oh, thank you. It's just a delight to be here and whatever I can do to give hope to anybody out there that's listening and watching this, that's my goal. Well, that's awesome. And I know we'll get to this, but I know you do that for a lot of people. So (laughs) I'm I'm excited to hear from you. But take us back to your childhood and what it was like. And I know you had a little bit of an addiction problem yourself. Might have been a big one. I don't know. But (laughs) tell us about that. Tell us how that whole got started for you. Absolutely. You know, uh, as as children, um, we uh, learn what we live. Right. And my mother was an alcoholic and my father was a kind of an uh, uh, unemotional abandonment, emotionally abandoning, abandoning, abandoning me, basically. And and it's um, again, he was always gone. So basically, I was the third child, the youngest of three. So there but there was several years between myself and my brother. So I pretty much grew up on my own. But there was no inspiration, no encouragement, no, uh, no rules, you might say, uh, no, uh, the gathering of how to do something, uh, no, um, should I just say parenting? Yeah, that would be kind of it, you know, like no parenting, just do their own, they only knew what they knew. And being an, and my mom being an alcoholic, she was pretty much always wanting me to get out of the way. So because she, so she could drink or do what she wanted to do. And then my dad was never around. And so in him being so unemotional, I grew up, just to give an example, I grew up in this family that when I would get birthday cards from him, even at any age, young age, it would be happy birthday, Mr. Jack M. Love. Not dad, not anything, but it was just very much like that. 
And so for me, it was always trying to get his love and also get my mother's love because, but I didn't really know how to do that. And what my dad did is he tried to buy me things to give me love. So this is what I learned. And when I say that is the behaviors for me, these be all became learned behaviors of lack of love, buy somebody, buy things for people and they'll love you. Um, and just being, and my mother was the, so, you know, so she was meek, you might say. And so she was, you know, again, seen and not heard uh, in a lot of ways. And that's especially in those, in those times. But it, when you grow up like this on your own, by yourself, not encouraged, you just don't know what to expect. And so when you get to the teenage and the young years, adult years, you haven't got the tools. At least I didn't have the tools to, to move forward and to, and to do things. And this led me down the road of uh, kind of a rabbit hole, you might say. And it just got worse and worse until later on that I had to do something about this. Um, but it was definitely a, um, a hard road. But at the time, I didn't understand it. Like most people, right? We don't understand what we're in and what it is until something really major happens maybe. And then even then you don't always know. You right. don't always well, and know. you don't know that there's another way. That's all you yeah, know. That's all you know. And so you don't have another way. You, if you, especially if you're not given the tools. If you're not given the tools, then you just don't know. And um, so it, it, it led for, to me being not that good in school. Uh, it led for me to be kind of a, a, a rebel. Um, it led me to try to manipulate my father and, and how to get his love, which again, in turn, learned, I learned manipulation in a lot of ways down the line. And again, unintentionally, but this is how I got my, my father's love, at least I believed I did, was because I knew he was a salesperson. So I decided to read these books about sales to get his attention. And this is what I was always trying to do, along with my mother's attention, which I couldn't get either. So it was just one of those kind of different things that it was a hard, hard road until, and then in my twenties, it just kind of, I was, I had, I got raped twice, oh. uh, once by a stranger and then once by a, uh, a boyfriend who threw, and then I ended up in the hospital and these are also very traumatic, right? But I stuffed a lot of my emotions into what I call my baggage. Mm -hmm. And so I was taught to be tough, taught to be strong don't cry, don't, you know, get over it. Um, and so that's what I tried to do is toughen it up. And, but that, that it takes a toll on you under your emotions and on your behaviors because you stick them all in a suitcase, right? And you carry that baggage around with you. And at some point it's going to explode if it's not acknowledged. Right. Patricia, were you aware when you were little that your mom had an alcohol problem? No. That yeah, was the interesting, okay. that was what was so interesting about it. It was just, I didn't know till I was almost 19 because a lot of no, no, alcoholics are not the same, just like not all substance abusers or anything, they were the same, right? And she was a closet alcoholic. She would a, a drink uh, when a lot of people weren't around. She had to take blood pressure medicine. So I thought that was just, maybe she was acting odd because of the blood pressure medicine. But I know that in my intuition is, I never wanted to bring my any friends home. Mm. I didn't want them. I didn't want them to see her. So again, I was like, "Oh no, let's go to your house." 
or you know, even though I didn't find out till I was 19, uh, almost 20 years of age that she was an alcoholic. And that's when she literally had her breakdown. And did, did she get help? Did she get better? Well, she, again, it's interesting back in the day, um, this would have been in the, uh, uh, let's see, late sixties, early seventies. Uh, they went into a hospital to go through withdrawal. Well, my dad, of course, this was just not the thing to do. This was, this was like faux pas. Don't tell anybody that she went, got through this or was an alcoholic. That was like, oh my God, this should never happen. And so he sent us off because he had some money, I thought, <laughs> and he sent us off to a trip. I was with my sister to, or for like three to four weeks to get my mother healed before she came back. So we were kind of her caregivers for those three or four weeks so that she could get better supposedly because he didn't want to be around that. Now, needless to say, while he was doing that, I actually realized that he was actually philandering around. Oh. So there's a lot of different things that came into it, which again brings for your father, you find out your father is doing some of this stuff because you, you find out as you get a little older on these things. And that also, it hits you in the wrong way. And it's like you, you idolize this person and everything starts to fall apart. So it's just, it, it just it's, a, it's a rabbit hole and it, you, you kind of fall down into it. And when you're not getting what you want, the, and and from back from this, you try and look for it in different places. So what I was doing was going into, um, you know, he was getting really addicted to behaviors, to sexual behaviors, uh, you know, finding guys just to have sex to make them love me because I thought that's what that was what love was. Especially after you get raped, you don't you really have no self worth. Your self esteem has gone down the tube. So a lot of fractions in there that really take part in a lot of this. So, Inter yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I can, I can imagine that when you're not getting the love at home, you want to find it somewhere else. Now, did you, did you have your own drugs, alcohol problem? Did that at some point play into this scenario? Interesting enough, I had a lot of behavioral problems, which sabotaged my life. Now there was definitely, uh, uh, abuse in, uh, drugs and in alcohol because when I was on the high, everything seemed to be good. Everything was flowing well, making money, doing well. But as soon as I sabotaged myself, which I did all the time, would fall into this negative space, the alcohol and the drugs would come into play because I wanted to mute everything. Right. And, and, and so, and of course, I thought of it at the time was just having fun. Um, and so this, so I definitely abused it very heavily. And I know there's, there's several different areas of addictions. And, um, I think in some ways I, I, I kind of was on a very fine line of not maybe going completely into the total obsession, you know, possession addictiveness of it all, but I was on the road there. I was on the road there. And, uh, and so, because it, everybody's slightly different in, in their body makeup and everything. So in some ways I kind of got sick, but I abused it. I totally abused it and, um, with, and used risky things involved in it. So I was definitely going down a very, very, very bad path because uh, during, during my twenties, it was definitely sex, uh, drugs and rock and roll, <laughs> you might say. Um, and in a, even into my thirties uh, uh, and, you know, it's interesting, you know, people get, they get highs, highs and lows, right? And, you know, I'd meet a guy 
and I get on a real high. And maybe that would last for even a, a year or something like that. And then everything falls apart. So you kind of go back to your old ways. And it's almost like being on a hamster wheel that you just keep going and going and going. And you keep doing the same thing over and over again, getting the same results. So the behaviors were very, very negative. And then along with the drugs and, and the alcohol, which again, I would just constantly want to just uh, make everything go away. And uh, yeah. Right. And I think, um, you know, the, the hamster wheel, as you call it, I think that also kind of describes what people go through with drug addiction and alcohol addiction, where, you know, they obviously decide that they want to get clean and get sober, but then something happens. And so then they feel they have to get high and it yes. kind of becomes this revolving door. It's so, a trigger. It's, yeah, you get yeah exactly. So in terms of your life and so now you're in your thirties and still, still kind of doing the sex, drugs and rock and roll. Still pretty much doing a lot of that, um, always working uh, and getting jobs and doing well. It was kind of like a, I was, what do they call it? A functional alcoholic drug addict. Right. Functioning addict. Yeah. A functioning yeah. addict. Yeah. You know, and, you know, because it's a fine line. I was being selective. That is, still didn't mean I wasn't addicted. You know, it, it, I was being selective. And of course, I'm thinking at the time, man, I'm, I'm good at this. I can handle all of this. Right. And, and until the downs happen, like, you know, you get married. I, I married uh, my, uh, the love of my life, I thought. Uh, my fantasy of who I fell in love with when I was 16 and he was 19 and I ended up marrying him. So I was on a big high. And then a couple of years in, I realized that I'd made a mistake. I, I missed all his red flags because I was muted in my own mind. And so again, started leading me down to not only sex, uh, and, and drugs, but also financial problems, because I was never taught how to deal with finances. So I was really pretty good at making money, but I was really good at spending it. Mm. <laughs> and so it was, everything was a high and a low, which, you know, uh, when you're addicted to things or abusing things, um, that's what it is. It's a high and a low. And so you think that, you know, you're just waiting for the next high. And then you think you can get through it and, and, and you, yet you're not doing anything about it. And that's what I wasn't doing. I wasn't doing anything about it. I was just dealing with it every single day. And, you know, cause when I was on a good, good role, I was like, oh, I'm fine. But when a bad role hit, I was really bad. And so it was just a constant, like you said, a revolving door, you know, hamster wheel constantly. And this would go on until my fifties. Wow. You know, so uh, it, it, it just was because I wasn't ready to acknowledge that I had neg some negative behaviors. Interesting. You know, I was willing to acknowledge that maybe it wasn't perfect. Well, you know, I'm not perfect, you know, so I have a this and I do a little of that. And until, um, you know, it, it all hits at one time. And so it took until my 50s to, to really acknowledge this and really go inside and really kind of and, and figure start to figure things out. But until then, it was just up and down, up and down, high and low, always drugs, alcohol, you name it. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com 
or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. And what happened in your 50s? What made you all of a sudden decide, I got to fix this? Well, it's interesting. You know, a lot of things, sometimes people go into a a dive, you know, a, a negative space when one thing happens, right? Sometimes it could be a death. Sometimes it could be a trauma, like a rape. Uh, Sometimes it can just be a financial devastation or divorce. And sometimes that can throw you into certain negative behaviors. Well, in my particular instance, those one-offs were I could get through. Mm -hmm. For me, in my 50s, it was uh, my mother passed. My mother passed, which I was an orphan. Uh, The real estate business completely took a dive. And I was a highly successful real estate agent. But I knew how to spend a lot of money. And so I didn't save any money because I didn't really understand how money worked. And so I was at the bottom of that part where on the, when the real estate business took a complete dive, well, I had no money either. So it was going to be, so I was basically broke. My husband at the time left me for somebody else. I was 40 pounds overweight. And I, I found myself back in, in my fifties, drinking a lot every night and doing drugs just again to mute myself and actually finding a little sexual sexual things here and there also i mean finding people being too risky because i just was trying to get away from all of it so once again what how come you changed (laughs) what made you wake up I know. So I got to tell you, it was uh, it was an incredible day. Um, it was in September of 2009. I'll never forget this day. And I was actually on the floor drunk. I'd had several martinis. Again, my husband had left me for somebody else. Uh, the uh, my finances, I didn't know if I was going to have a roof over my head in a month. Uh, my mother had passed away. And the last straw, this is all happening all together, right? And the last straw was I opened up an email that I thought was from somebody I knew, like a client or something. And there was a, a pictures of my husband and her together. And that pretty much for me, four to five things, just was the last straw. And I broke down literally in, and, and I just said, I can't go on. I mean, I literally was on the floor in, in, and I like, I just can't go on anymore. I can't do this anymore. What can I do? I, I, I said, I, I, I wanted to give up. I wanted to just, you know, I don't think I necessarily wanted to put myself in a misery, but I definitely just wanted to give up. It's just, that's forget about it. Screw it. I'm not, I just can't do it anymore. 
And at that time, and I don't know anybody's beliefs and things, but it, I, I do have a spiritual belief. Uh, but as I sat there and I was on the floor crying my eyes out, there was this little soft uh, feeling on my arm. And I looked over and there's my cat, Hula, just staring at me. And I swear to God, and whether it was my internal power or some other kind of power, but I felt this, this literally this, this energy coming through me that says, you've got to keep going. You cannot give up. You have things to do. And I love you. Please keep going. Now, let's step back. My, my sister was a, a huge mentor of mine. She was 10 years older than me. And she took care of me as a parent, but she had passed away. It was also one of the things that happened to me as she, she passed away many years ago. But I've always felt her by my side. And I truly believe that some way, somehow she was trying to get through to me, like you cannot give up because you just need to take your power back. You got to stop the drinking. You've got to stop the drugs. You got to stop running around and trying to have sex with everybody that you, you know, just to make yourself feel good for the moment and get your crap together. You've got to get your, and honestly, that day, uh, there were some words that came into my mind that I wrote down and I, and I didn't understand them at the point at the time. But the words were acknowledgement, forgiveness, uh, mindset, um, accountability, and perseverance. I, and it took me a while to figure them out. But I just knew I had to take my power back. And what I did was I actually wrote down a why so strong that I would never want to go back to that. So in other words, in other words I, w- I wrote out when, as I was laying on the floor, crying, drunk, looking like crap you know, just everything bad, you know, everything was just so badly. I just never wanted to go back there. So that why has actually kept me from being, going back. Now, did I have a couple steps forward and one step back periodically? <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that is just the, the, uh, a life of just life and, and, but understanding and acknowledging where my problems were. And I had to acknowledge it because being coming from an alcoholic mom, you know, who didn't acknowledge it, having alcoholic friends that didn't acknowledge it, I had to acknowledge the fact that I was in trouble. And if I didn't get myself cleaned up and do something right and, 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 and move forward, that I was going to, everything was going to get worse and worse. And I, I think I was so frightened of being homeless that that scared me straight almost. That, and that was just kind of me. But I just knew that there was hope out there. I just knew that if I gave myself some a little bit of grace that, that I was smart, that I could do it. It may not happen overnight, but I just had to keep listening and reading my why constantly. Because when I read that, it put me right back on the straight and narrow. You know, I mean, literally, because I'd never want to be back there again. It was just a very bad day. <laughs> it's a very, it was one of my worst days in my life. That. And yet, I mean, get the best day of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get that, and that's that's amazing. And you bring, you know, you bring up a lot of the things that we've talked about over and over on the podcast. It starts with you, and it starts with you, how you feel about yourself. And yeah. you know, you can't get clean and sober for somebody else. It has to be because you think you are important enough to be clean and sober and live a wonderful life. And you deserve that. And, you know, we hear that over and over again from those in recovery that, 
you know, they really have to decide for themselves that they're worth it, basically, yes. because you, I, what, what did you have to go through then? I mean, here you are, you've got no job and your yeah. husband's off doing his thing. So, yeah, well, I had to go deep. I had to go so deep and I had to uh, acknowledge the fact that I had no self-confidence. I had to acknowledge the fact that I had no self-esteem and that I felt that I wasn't worth it. I had to ex actually acknowledge it in order to move forward with it. Yep. And one of the first things I knew I had to do is get out of debt, you know, and find some money. And I literally sold, I literally sold everything I owned, wow. literally, so I could live and pay that rent that next month. I literally sold, I mean, I, I would search in, in every crawl space, every pocket for coins and, and literally, and they actually saved me because I came up, it was amazing how much money you can find and do and sell when you need to. But that started building a little confidence in me. I actually had to say, oh, I had to get, take my head out of the sand and open the bills because I just was ignoring everything. And I just really, and, and at the time I didn't have the money to find a therapist or a coach or anybody. So I was actually, I went to, I tried to learn a lot myself, but then I felt I needed a little bit. So I went to the library and found somebody for free, you know, mm -hmm. that, that would help me a bit. Um, but I read books. I just, I just really listened to my why. And even though I would have days that were down, I would just, I kind of look at my cat Hula again and say, oh, I, I don't want you talking to me again. So I need to keep moving forward here. <laughs> you know? So that's a little scary. But, you know, the first step was really acknowledging. And then the second step, which, which is where these five words started coming into, I had to forgive myself. Mm -hmm. I had to forgive myself for, forgive myself some grace and realize that I was human. And I had to also reach out and forgive my uh my father my mother and 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 because they have their own stories and i had to forgive the rapists and my ex-boyfriend you know way back in the day and even though they could be dead by now i still needed to take my power back because they were holding on to it and i knew that i had to cut that and, and move forward and surround myself with positive people and really help changing my mindset and when i surrounded myself with better people and and re-released a lot of toxicity I was doing myself a, a good deserving, knowing that I was moving forward. That gave me hope because, you know, you start seeing people that care about you and so, um, and reaching out to others. And so that, that really helped me. And it just, uh, it gave me hope every single day. And I, I, I really worked on that. I mean, affirmations and everything, you name it, I worked on it. <laughs> yep. And you then wrote a book. I did. Tell yes. us about the book. What what inspired you to do that? And well, I wrote the book. It's seen and unheard, and uh, it's my journey uh, coming from a little girl for a little girl's silence to empowerment. And for me, it was a memoir, and it was a releasing the final release in a lot of ways. Even though I'd released so many different things, sometimes when you release what's in your heart and what's in your head. It out to the world that that's really really letting go but i've had this book on the back of my you know uh, back of the shelf for for years and i just kind of decided i'm just going to do it and it really is a memoir of my life but it's a memoir that i find that other women can reflect on themselves because on my stories 
there's women that can see maybe a story that they have, maybe not exactly the same, but it also, if they reflect on it, they can have hope and that I, if I can do it at 56, that anybody can do it. I mean, because there is no age limit to change. There's no uh, situation that you can't change is you can do it. You just have to be willing to acknowledge it and move forward. So my book really is a hopeful book in allowing women and men, some, some men too, to see themselves in that. And, and, and I give us some like uh, suggestions and chapters and also some work stuff in the back, but, uh, and, and I've had a really great positive response for it from it by women reaching out to me and say, you know what I saw, I, I, it wasn't exactly, but I saw, and I reflected on this and I, I think I need to make some changes, Interesting. you know, because maybe they were as extreme as mine. Yeah. And maybe there was only one, one situation, but when you can learn to live with, with, which what I strive for is inner peace every single day and doing my best and kind of living in today and in gratitude, I find that I don't have the anxiety and the overwhelmness and I've just done them my very, very best. And it's turned around, my life completely turned around. My, my real estate business went flying high again. Uh, it's been successful for many, many years. Once I figured out that I could, I, I had clients that I could deal with. Um, and, and my dealing with people and, and um, observing and listening to others and letting them know they matter. Uh, because I really believe that there's a lot of women out there that believe they're not heard and that they're not, you know, they're seen, but they're not heard. And a lot of that stems from a lot of the imaging coming from uh, big companies and, and different things that really makes a woman especially feel less than and, and dismissed. And we're talked over. And um, I want women to know that that can change. They just need to build their confidence back up. And, and I don't mean a brash confidence, uh, confidence. I mean, a confidence that's an inner power that makes you feel good, that moves you forward, that gives you some boundaries and that it's okay to say no sometimes. Yep. A certainty of self, you certainty know, of self. I, I love all of your messages and I know that you have a huge following on Facebook. So I know that what you say resonates with a lot of women and, you know, as we said before the podcast, that's what this podcast is all about, is not just women per se, but to to instill in people who are listening, if they have their own addiction problem, you know, there's help available and there's hope. And sometimes I think that the the darkness of addiction can just lead people, whether they are addicts themselves or friends and family of addicts, to think, there's nothing that can be done about it. And there always is, there always yes. is something that can be done and there's always help and there's always hope. And Hey, if nothing else, go to Facebook and look up Patricia love <laughs> and she can help you. Cause that's absolutely. That's, that's absolutely. What you do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's important that uh, people understand that no matter whether it's sub abuse behavior addiction, because there's all different types of addictions. And there's, you know, and so I don't want anybody to think that, you know, well, I don't have that. Well, everybody has behaviors that maybe they can change or break that cycle. Yep. And also, you know, so often we, we hear from addicts who had a really good childhood and mm -hmm. yet for whatever reason decided to experiment and try drugs and became addicted. So the, my point is that if Patricia can live through the childhood and the trauma that she had, you know, you can too. Yes. 
You absolutely, you just have to want to. You have to want to change. And I and I use that big word again, acknowledge. You just a lot of people don't want to acknowledge their own negatives because it's really hard to be truthful with our own selves. And like it's like, what do you mean? I don't do that. Yeah, well, yes, we do, <laughs> you know. And but it's so freeing once you do acknowledge it and then you learn to forgive and then change your mindset. So it's a it's a beautiful thing. And I every day I, I look at life completely differently now. I have just Real quickly, I have a, a, a quote from Wayne Dyer that I love and I use daily, and I highly recommend it for anybody, is if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And that's helped me in so many ways, because sometimes if it's a really bad day, I'll change it up somehow and find a good thing out of it. It's a great message. It's great. Patricia, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and sharing your story. And everybody, it's patricialove.com. And the book is Seen. And, oh, sorry, I did write it down. That's right, Seen and Unheard. Seen and Unheard. And you can, and I'm assuming they can find your book on Amazon or anywhere. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and also my website, patricialove.com. Anywhere you buy books. So check it out. Go to patricialove.com and check her out on Facebook too, because she's got a huge group. And that means to me that she's offering a lot to people because she's got a lot of positive messages. So thank you again, Patricia. Really appreciate you taking time for us today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. I have to repeat that quote she gave. I didn't get the name of the person, but if you change the way you look at things, the things that you're looking at will change. And that's a great message. And I hope that um, Patricia's interview um, inspired you to get help or just maybe inspired you that hope is real. There is such a thing as hope. You can check her out at patricialove.com and check out her Facebook group. Just group, just search for Patricia Love. And we hope you have a great week. Uh, it's the end of October. We're heading into November. I don't know what happened to this year. It went so fast. But we'll be back again next week with another interview. And once again, reach out if you need help. There's so much help available to you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. It doesn't matter. Just reach out for help. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.